podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the latest episode of the AI Writers Podcast. I'm your co-host Leanne Prescott, and joining me as usual is Tom. Tom, how are you? Hey, Leanne. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm not too bad, thanks. How's everything with you? Yeah, good. Um, pleased to see Germany out of the World Cup. England's still in it, still fighting to bring football home. So, could be a, a very good summer for us. Joining us today is Ash. Ash, how are you? Very well, thank you, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, all good. RN. Um, good to have you on as, as usual. Um, so today we're, we'll be looking at Ash's article, which looks at Liverpool's summer moves and how it's a statement of intent for next season and, and basically for the future, really. Uh, Liverpool have confirmed Naby Keita today, number eight, filling in the shoes of Steven Gerrard. All really, really happy about that, I'm sure. Um, so Ash, why don't you introduce your article, talk us through your, your points of view on this summer and, and what it really means for Liverpool. Yeah, sure, Leah. I mean, I think uh, the point of my article really was just to emphasise, you know, what a good job the transfer committee, so that's kind of Klopp, Edwards, and just the general scouting. Um, I think, you know, I've been critical about Michael Edwards in the past and written about it, you know, um, especially after last summer. Last summer was quite disappointing. Uh, a lot of names promised, or big names, you know, Navigator, Virgil van Dijk, the two main guys. Um, we didn't quite secure them, but you know, I think Edwards has done a great job to actually recover from that position. And, you know, although we've lost Coutinho, we seem to be going from strength to strength. Um, obviously made the Champions League final, comfortably made fourth in the end, to be honest. I mean, it could have been easier had it not been for the Champions League. But I think all things considered, you know, the team did really well and were, you know, at the time played within themselves to secure top four. So and I think we spoke a lot, you know, previous podcasts about the midfield or the lack of quality in midfield and that was probably for me the biggest area that needed addressing um, so to, to come off the back of the Champions League defeat you know obviously a very disappointing result against Madrid uh, but you know the announcement of Fabinho which was a complete shock to most people you know it was a fabulous bit of business uh, to secure one of the best prospective young players in that position um, Obviously, Naby Keita coming in as well. And then talk of, you know, Nabil Fakir was almost sealed, you know, signed, sealed and delivered just before the World Cup. So I think, you know, going from where we were in terms of functional midfield that did a good job last season and took us to fourth and the Champions League final, you know, we were looking as fans, I think, to some real upgrades, especially with the loss of Coutinho in January. You know, we were looking for some upgrades in the midfield. And I think, you know, had it not been for the Fakir injury talk, you know, the doubts that the club had over his knee, I think, you know, superb bit of business from Edwards, you know, to really bolster that midfield and almost, you know, looking at the kind of calibre player that's going to really take us up a notch going into next season. So although, you know, we haven't landed Fakir, don't know exactly what's happening with that at this stage. Um, but I think even then we can be very happy with, with the upgrades we're seeing come in especially with Chan's departure. So um, I think it's looking very positive, really, moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And, and as you mentioned in the article, there's a great spine developing at Liverpool. We saw that develop with Van Dijk coming in at first, then Naby Keita and now uh, Fabinho as well. So you know, for me, you've talked about how last summer was um, underwhelming, and I want to really hone in on that, first of all. Uh, just to compare it to, to last summer, you, know, you talk about the movements that Edwards and Klopp are making. They've obviously brought in a really good spine and looked to shore up some problem areas for us. Uh, from my personal point of view, I think Fabinho is the one that stands out. Of course, I'm looking forward to seeing Abicator as we all are, but it's great to see Klopp you know, get that defensive midfielder and get someone to replace Mascherano, um, which is a role that's been left vacant for so many years now. So, you know, compare that to, to last summer, Ash. What are your feelings towards Liverpool? And have they learned from their previous lessons? I think so. Um, it's quite interesting because all along, you know, since Klopp's been at the club, he hasn't seen the need for a dedicated defensive midfielder. 
And the interesting thing for me is now that uh, Buvac has left, Pep Linders has come in as the kind of, I guess, the main coach now um, at the club. And he, uh, Linders played a big part in actually bringing the 4-3-3 system, you know, into Klopp's thinking and a way of, you know, making Liverpool competitive in the Premier League. I think 4-2-3-1, we've spoken about it before, uh, but I think the 4-2-3-1, and the Buvac and Klopp, it got a bit stale at Dortmund, especially in that final season in Germany. Um, and I think the 4-3-3 was a nice refreshing change and a recognition, I think, from Klopp that not only did he have to adapt a little bit to the English Premier League, but also maybe just generally adapt his style into a more kind of uh, perhaps possession-based proactive one. Um, so we've seen, obviously, the, the good side of that, you know, when the team's in full flow, really effective in the counter-attacking situations in games um, reasonably good on the ball uh, we've talked about the midfield a number of times and I think it's fair to say that you know if we're comparing the, our midfield with say Man City who are the new benchmark now you know we, we do fall a bit short but I think what you know these these signings and you know Naby Keita Fabinho and whoever we're going to sign if we do sign somebody as the attacking midfield I think it's really positive because it's just such a nicely um, balanced midfield compared to what we've had before. And I think where I say you look at the Champions League final, and obviously we had, you know, injuries to key players. But essentially these are all good players off the ball. They can do a lot of pressing, a lot of hard work. But I think what we really missed in that Champions League final, especially the second half once Mohamed Salah went off, you know, was that ability to just dictate the, the tempo of the game a bit better, just to slow the game down a bit. Um, and I think what we've got now... Naby Fakir, not, not, notwithstanding, you know, I think we've got a, a nice balance there. You know, Fabinho is the destroyer who can also, you know, he's got lots of height, very strong, powerful guy, can also surge forward at the right time. So, you know, he, he can really dovetail quite nicely with Naby Keita. Naby Keita's a brilliant all-round midfielder, central midfielder, you know, he can do a bit of everything. So I think, you know, we had flexible players before, but I think now we've got, even just with those two, our midfield is so much superior because of the level. It's just a better standard of flexibility that we have. Um, and I just wonder to what extent Linda's coming in now as the main guy, um, you know, handling the training and the coaching and the sort of tactical patterns of play. I wonder whether he's the one that's kind of been instrumental in saying, OK, we probably need a, a defensive mid now or a proper defensive midfielder or a proper number six, as we like to say. So... Um, yeah, I think the evolution's really nice and, um, you know, if we can just find that attacking player that can be more of an advanced playmaker in the kind of David Silva mould, I think, you know, bloody handful for any team, to be honest, and that's really exciting. Yeah, I think exciting is probably the key word for the sort of the, the momentum that we're sort of building around the club. I mean, obviously, to go and announce a player of Fabinho's quality two days after the Champions League final is a great step, especially when you consider he wasn't one of the players that was on our radar. Um, like you, I am surprised that we went out and bought someone who is more of an out-and-out six, who plays a little bit more defensively. But Fabinho is another one of those players who sort of helps the issue. And I think if you look at Fabinho and you look at Keita, I like what Klopp's doing. In the sense he's not going out and thinking, I need X player to fit X role. He's saying, I want X player who can do X, Y and Z and can do quite a lot and is very capable of doing different things. So I think with obviously with Naby, I mean, we'll talk about Naby in a bit because I just love Naby so much. But with Keita and with Fabinho, he's building, them, as you say, balance. Balance midfield, the first time midfield. I mean, you talk about the 4 one the 4 and I think that's absolutely right. And with these players, you've got that ability to sort of fluctuate between the two, even in game, even in sort of in the, in transition, even in the same move. You can be playing a sort of 4-3-1, switching to a 4-3-3 and back again, almost in, in seconds with the sort of players that we're looking to build. Um, I like Fabinho a lot. Um, I don't think he's quite um, of the calibre of Naby Keita. I don't think he's necessarily quite of the calibre of Naby Fakir either. I think he's. I think what he is, he's a very nice balancer. He's someone who adds a bit of steel to that midfield, someone who had a bit of experience to that midfield, someone who adds a bit more all-round quality to the midfield, but I don't see him being the man... I don't see him seeing like the Virgil van Dijk type or the Naby Keita type where he'll just come in and instantly change our system I don't think he'll be that type of player I think what he is is he's a very nice sort of I say balancing act to what else is going on so I think he's the sort of player that will fit the system really well and be a very good addition but I don't think he's necessarily a game changer 
Um, I think he's got a lot of good skills, and I think he's a very top player. But I don't think he's necessarily a world-class player in his position either. Um, I think he's very good value for money, and I think he'll end up being very important to us. But I don't think he's necessarily going to be the big name. What I will say is that I think Naby Keita is. I think Naby is the sort of player who you look at our midfield, and with him in it, it's going to look completely different. We're going to be almost unrecognisable with Naby in that side, because I think he is the sort of player who just single-handedly comes in and changes the side. He is the of the calibre and of the quality that he just steps in and everything's different. He is a phenomenal dribbler. He's a great tackler. He's uh, an excellent passer in the final third. He's got a lot of skill. I mean, basically, if Liverpool were looking, and it, look, looking at this midfield and said, do you know what we really need for this midfield? If we could pick a single player who would cr- make our midfield better, we'd pick, Navi- we'd pick Navi Keita because of what he brings to the table. It would be like basically saying, hey, you know that Steven Gerrard player that we had a few years ago? What if we stuck him in our midfield? Wouldn't that be boss? And that's exactly what we've gone and done. Um, I know the Gerrard comparisons are very easy because he's obviously taken the break shot off Gerrard, but I think that's a very deliberate thing on the club's part. I think they know that Cater's got the capability to go and be the worthy success of Gerrard, otherwise they wouldn't be making such a big thing of the fact that he's taking the break shirt. Um, because I think he is a genuine, genuinely world-class number eight who's got the ability to go and be very Gerrard-esque. The one element to his game that Gerrard has that Naby doesn't is probably the long shooting. We've seen Naby score decent goals, but he's not really like a, a thunderbolter. Whereas I think he's probably a better defensive option than Gerrard. But what I think they both share is that kind of bombastic driving ability to sort of just beat players. Because Gerrard's got a very distinctive dribbling ability that's, that's very underrated and a fantastic player. And that's kind of what Naby's got. He's got that ability to just sort of bust a gut and take two or three players out of the game in the midfield and then pick the right pass in the final third. So to that extent, I think Naby is the sort of player who just adds two or three extra dimensions to our midfield and makes us so dangerous and makes us so difficult to deal with. And I think he is basically the perfect player to bolster our midfield and he doesn't, which is important. A, he doesn't sacrifice defensive ability because he can defend really, really well. But B, bringing in Fabinho is the perfect counterweight to that because it allows us to have someone we can lean on a little bit more for the defensive side of the game. Yeah, I think I think that's the perfect way to put it um, in many ways. You know, Fabinho is a player who will complement uh, Naby Keita massively. Keita is someone who's got a little bit of everything about his game. He's got that creative spark. He's got that sort of grit and, and confidence to really march forward with the ball in between the lines. We've seen that um, with him last season in terms of dribbling past a number of players before putting it in the back of the net. And that sort of creativity and, and, and attacking a verb is what makes him so exciting ahead of next season. And then you've got someone like uh, Fabinho, who's sort of a, a paperweight. He, he keeps things ticking over and he will help with the tempo of the team. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a very exciting prospect for next season. Um, Ash, your thoughts on Abby Cater, just how good uh, is he going to be and just how big of an impact is he going to have at Liverpool? And, you know, people, obviously rival fans will probably point to him and say, why are we making such a fuss of a player who's a relatively unknown commodity in terms of being tested against the very best as he will be um, going into the Champions League um, next season with Liverpool, but also in terms of the Premier League, looking at the physicality of, of the English Premier League as well. So what is it about him that makes it so exciting and really reflects this this idea that it's a summer of intent for Liverpool? Yeah, it's a very good question, Leanne, actually, because in a way... Given all the hype about Navigator and for how, you know, considering how long it's gone on for, I think he's on, almost on a hiding to nothing if he, if he doesn't hit the ground running straight away. But I think having seen enough of him in Germany, um, I mean, I did have doubts initially when we were linked with him. I thought, mm, you know, good player, but Bundesliga isn't the most competitive league. He's not the biggest guy physically. Um, will he struggle in the Premier League? But having watched him closely and trying to kind of take an unbiased view of him, certainly from what I've seen of him, he's one one of those games, uh, sorry, one of those players that can just grab the game by the scruff of the neck. And as Tom was saying, you know, he's kind of got that Gerard-esque ability, um, not, not necessarily even just in terms of the dribbling, but just that ability and that personality to grab the game by the scruff of the neck, get on the ball and actually try and influence it and make something happen. And again, you're sort of comparing him with the likes of Genie Wijnaldum, Jordan Henderson, and Oxley chamberlain He has his moments, you know, he's fairly mixed season for me. I mean, I think he did very well. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't think he was as necessarily as good as some people were making out either. Um, I think he's still got a long way to go. 
uh, Adam Lalana, you know, um, MI Chan's gone, obviously. So you look at our midfield and there's very few players in there now that can just really grab the game by the scruff of the neck. Um, yes, they can kind of ping a long ball, you know, to the front three and use our pace, but I think in terms of actually really influencing the game by changing the way they play, I don't think we, we had those players before. And I think what, even with Fabinho, um, and, and Cato as well, I think what we've got now is guys that have the personality to take risks and just to, you know, drive forward with the ball, go on a little dribble, just raise the crowd and just raise their teammates and the morale and the kind of belief. And I think that's what we're going to see over time, regardless of whether they start hitting the ground running. I think the Navigator and Fabinho as well, these are the kind of guys that, you know, they've played at, at a reasonably good level. Um, they have the technical abilities, they have the skill and physical attributes, and I think they're just simply an upgrade in terms of what we've seen already. And I think that just that very thing um, makes them, uh, you know, significant improvement on what we've had already. And that's not with that, you know, that's um, ignoring the fact that being amongst these kind of players in training will also raise the level of the likes of Oxley, Chamberlain, Genie, Henderson as well. You know, obviously Henderson's got a place to fight for now. Uh, you know, he's really got to fight for his place. So I think it's just the the freshness that Klopp's brought in and that just that that quality just raises everyone's level and just raises the level of that midfield generally now. So um, yeah, I think it's it's really exciting and. That's the question about Naby Keita. I mean, you know, what hasn't been said already, really, you know. Um, it's well documented, you know, just how good this guy is. But I think the good thing about having someone like Fabinho there now, it really is so complimentary to Naby Keita that it, it just helps Naby bed in to the league, um, just having that physicality and that, that trust behind him. And he can really, you know, focus on his own game rather than worrying about his defensive duties all the time. And I think it's his offensive qualities really help the team moving forward and you know you add another player on top of that um, and I think you know some of the issues we've seen in the past against the park bus away at Old Trafford you know a typical you know typical game where we struggle I think these are the kind of guys that should change some of that and I think that's very exciting. Tom what are your what are your thoughts then just like an overall perspective before we move on to to a different aspect of Ash's article on that midfield then, so what will Naby, again, sort of similar question, uh, what will Naby Keita bring for you to Liverpool? And do you think it's a player who is obviously going to have a lot of expectation on his shoulders taking up that number eight um, shirt, as well as having, you know, this, this sort of comparison loosely uh, to Steven Gerrard in the way he sort of applies his, his trade uh, in that midfield? Do you think that's something that he'll thrive under? I mean, that's the impression that I'm getting. Um, I think one thing that I think is very important is that I don't think this is something the club would force on him if they didn't feel as though he was capable of doing it. I mean, Jurgen Klopp is the sort of person who knows his players very well and gets to know people. And I don't think that the Gerrard thing is something that Klopp would have allowed to happen if he didn't think it was something Naby could handle. Naby gives me that impression of someone who's very driven, very determined. Very, because when he, when he plays, he has a very driving style about it, but off, just the little snippets we've seen of him off the pitch. Just things like, for example, he joined, he went into training today, even though he didn't have to until, uh, Monday, for example. Just little things like giving himself a little bit of extra time to sort of get stuck in, get settled. Um, the way he's gone about his career, you don't, I mean, you don't get to be the player that Navigator is at 23 years old without a hell of a lot of drive about you and a hell of a lot of something about you. And the ability to thrive under pressure is something that I think we might I think that's, I mean, that's maybe the biggest test of him. Potentially, we haven't necessarily seen him step up. I mean, we've seen him do well in games against big teams. We've seen him play well overall. But we've not necessarily seen how he'll cope under the sort of expectation because that's not necessarily something that's been had of him just yet. So that is something that I suppose we'll see. But like I say, I don't think the level of expectation Liverpool would be putting on him because make no mistake, Liverpool know exactly what they're doing, making the Gerrard comparisons and explicitly getting Gerrard to hand the shirt to him. There's, you know, there's no two ways about that. Liverpool know what they're doing, and I don't think they would do that if they didn't think it was something he could live up to. In terms of the player himself, he's got the raw attributes. He's 23 years old, and he's already one of the best dribblers in the, one of the best midfield dribblers in world football. He's a phenomenal defensive player as well. He's got the all-round game. The only question is whether or not he can apply that game to a Klopp system. And I think the evidence is there that he can. I mean, Klopp's a very German-centric manager anyway, and obviously Naby comes from a very Bundesliga atmosphere, but uh, Naby's got the 
basic skill set and he's young enough that Klopp can mould him. Um, and he strikes me as the type who's a hard worker, which is always something you need in a Klopp system. Um, I obviously don't know his, his, um, his sort of, we obviously don't do pressing numbers in Germany, but I don't know his distance covered stats, that kind of stuff anyway. But obviously, as we saw with someone like Oxley Chamberlain, the base numbers aren't necessarily as important as the ability. And he's got maybe got the, the temperament, and as long as he's got temperament and physical ability to do big numbers, he's going to want to do big numbers for Klopp. So from that perspective of it, I really like him. Um, but I think for me, what it comes down to is just the combination of the fact that Naby is a player with world, genuinely world-class talent and one of the best young midfielders in Europe, and he's being paired with a manager who knows how to get the best out of that sort of player. So for me, you put Naby Keita and Jurgen Klopp together, this is before you even factor in how good Liverpool's recruitment has been over the last few years because, you know, the players that we have brought in, where there have been question marks, those players that we've brought in have answered them, um, you know, with the possible exception of Gini Van Alden. Um, but even that would be harsh. But you know what I mean? The, the players that we've brought in, so the, the big money players especially, where there's been a bit of pressure on them, they fully delivered almost immediately. So I, I would be very surprised if Naby didn't come into this season and make a huge, huge impact on the Premier League because I think he's that good. I think, I think his thing, I think if we sign nobody else this summer, I would be happy because we've got Naby Keita. I think he's that good. I think he's the sort of player where you look at him and you go, he is the difference between fourth place and a title on his own. He is that calibre mm-hmm. of game changer for me. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so we've talked about, you know, the quality of the recruits Liverpool have brought in and potential recruits that will will potentially be coming in uh, later on in the summer. So now I want to really hone in on the next part of Ash's article, which looks at how Liverpool have also learned from lessons of managing risk. So that obviously is is in relation to Nabil Fakir and the rumours that Liverpool, you know, sort of pulled out of the move after a medical, after LFC TV possibly did an interview with him uh, because of a, a worry about um, a previous injury and the, the rehabilitation of it. Uh, I think it was his knee. Uh, was the issue. So Ash, you know, talk us through that. Talk us through what you think uh, that that reflects you know, in terms of the bigger image about how Liverpool and, you know, Klopp are learning. They're thinking if you're going to go spend £50 million, you want it to be on a reliable player, someone who's here for a couple of years and can really hit their heights rather than someone who's going to be in and, in and out of the injury table. Yeah, I think it's just common sense, really. I mean, I think I can understand for the life of me why you had fans, you know, going crazy over the fact that we haven't signed Nabil Fakir. Now, obviously, the club do as fans, you know, and if, if their medical department is saying that, you know, this guy's a risk, then I think, you know, I'm going to trust the professionals. Um, you know, you don't touch these kind of players with a barge pole if you think there's a risk involved. Um, now, obviously, you know, there's different levels of risk, but this this is a guy that could break down at any moment and the medical team feel that's the case, then, you know, we shouldn't be going anywhere near him. So, I think the um, the main reason I wrote this article really was just to say, you know, ha- hold on a second here, let's just get a sense of perspective because the club has already done, you know, terrific business in securing, you know, the two players that we've discussed at length already. You know, Nab- uh, N- you know, Fakir on top of that, that that duo, you know, that is incredible, incredibly astute business for me, you know, to take on midfield from where it was last season, and you know, I've, I've talked at length about my views on the midfield not quite being good enough to go that next level. And suddenly, you know, you're almost, you know, that close to signing the guy. And, you know, again, the clock factor coming in, you know, his ability to attract top players. Um, so, you know, the club has done everything, you know, from my perspective, everything they could have done and nothing more. And if they deem that this guy's too risky, well, you know, then so be it. You know, obviously that's disappointing for us as fans, but, you know, do we want to buy this guy for 50, 60 million? You know, he breaks down within the first 10 games of the season and then we've got, you know, we, we don't have the funds to, to buy a replacement. So, yeah, it might, it might mean a waiting game, but I think if ever there's evidence that we should be trusting Klopp and Edwards, especially Klopp, not so much Edwards, because, you know, for me, he's just doing his job. You know, he's got good resources. You know, he's got, yeah, I think, I think, you know, he's got, he's in charge of the scouts. So he takes a lot of credit, obviously, but, you know, he's given a mandate by Klopp to say, okay, this is the kind of, player I'm looking for, these are the attributes, go find me. Now, obviously, yeah. that's a skill in itself to identify them, but I think, you know, at the same time, some of the players that we are buying, they're not necessarily massive surprises. You know, if I was to do a quick, you know, statistical 
search online or whatever. You know, these are the kind of players we should be looking for. Um, I think fair play that we are managing to secure them. But I think that's more the clock factor than Edwards, per se. So, um, anyway, regardless of that, you know, the guy's doing a good job. So, I think, you know, what we've seen is we were prepared to wait for Naby Keita. We were prepared to wait for Virgil van Dijk. And these are the guys that can really make a difference to this side. There aren't many players like them that we can afford. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of good players out there, but the really elite level players, you know, there's only a finite number of those that we can actually realistically buy for different reasons. You know, where we are as a club right now, our wage structure, all that sort of stuff. So um, I think if anything, whether Fakir happens or not, I think I'm fairly relaxed now because I think Klopp and Edwards have kind of built up the track record with their recent work, you know, that we can say, okay, these guys do know what they're doing. And that's that's the key, isn't it? it it's sort of yeah, this element of Yeah, and I'm pretty trust. relaxed about it. I'm relaxed yeah. about it. You know, it's going to be yeah. disappointing, yes, but, you know, if they feel there's no one else available, um, Klopp wouldn't handicap himself. That's the thing. Klopp is not going to handicap himself when he's, you know, he's potentially, A, his job's on the line anyway, or, you know, it's his job and he's the one that's, you know, trying to make the best of his job as he can. Um, and obviously yeah, I think it's... I think it's one that you, you point out perfectly in the article and, and you've said sort of spot on here again. It's, it's one where you're looking at Klopp and you're looking at Edwards and they're two people who've really earned our trust and gained our trust with what they've done in the market so far. Um, players we've talked about already, but Van Dyke, uh, Navigator, Fabinho. And so while Fakir hasn't come off yet, there's still a chance it could happen after the World Cup. I, I think it personally will. Um, but even if it doesn't, okay. as you say, you know, there's there's alternatives there, there's options there, there's reasons to believe that Klopp's not just going to turn a blind eye because he's not got Fakir. Um, Tom, your thoughts? You know, it, this is great for the future. Obviously, we're paying more attention to this type of elements of the transfers. Uh, I mean, Leanne, you won't agree with me here, but the Ox transfer was an expensive mistake in the sense that we bought, we bought a player. We bought we bought a player who we knew was a major injury risk, and then, funnily enough, when he picked up a serious injury that could have, you know, that could have done some serious serious damage oh, yeah. that might end up missing. But you know, you know what I mean. We've just gone and bought a player, and yeah. now we've got half. A, we've not even got half a good season out of him, and now we're, he's going to miss probably probably three quarters of the next season. And it's like, I well, think... that was you know that that went well, didn't that? But you know what I, I mean. Think, and then we yeah. I, I mean, I get, I understand your point. I think it's just, no, it's, my, injuries happen in football. I think what, what the point do, here is, do, what the point you, here is, is, okay, a comparison to Oxley Chamberlain is fair enough. Both injury prone players, but here we're talking about Nabil Fekir. Um, you know, maybe it's, it, it's a good comparison in some ways, but I wouldn't say we've learned from Oxley Chamberlain because I think Oxley Chamberlain's done well. He's unfortunately suffered a long term injury now, which is frustrating completely agree with that and understand that uh, but I do think there is there is steps forward here with Fekir not just in, in comparison to Chamberlain that Liverpool are sort of looking more closely at their transfers they're not just putting money you know willy-nilly into into um, into players pockets because they want that player and they're just not going to settle for anyone else if we go in and we get Fekir it will be because Klopp and the medical staff have deemed him able to fulfill the job that he wants I agree with that, and I do agree that with someone like Fakir, um, the situation is that we're not just going in and buying a player regardless of whatever happens. What I will say is that with Fakir, I don't think he's necessarily not good enough. I don't think he's necessarily elite enough that he's worth the money, whatever the cost, if that makes sense. You look at someone like Virgil van Dijk. Van Dijk was and remains the single best player we could have bought to fit the hole that we had in our defence. We, we, with Van Dyke, we've gone out and gone, okay, what, what is the issue we've got with our defence? How do we solve it? Who's the best player available? Pay whatever it takes. Exactly the same with Nami Keita. It's a case of, this is a hole in our midfield. We need to find the single best possible option for that. And we've gone out and bought an elite level player. Those two are players who are top five in their position in world football. Um, probably will be top five in their position in world football when the season starts. Fakir, is he top five in his position in world football? Probably not. I think he's an elite level, I think he's close to being an elite level player. He's a very, very good player, and for the price for the price quoted, I would definitely take him. But I don't think he's necessarily of that level just yet. I think if we had to go out and buy someone else to replace Fakir, I think that wouldn't necessarily be as big an issue as trying to find a, a replacement for a Van Dijk or for a Cater. So I do think that it's slightly different with um, Fakir, and I do think the Oxley Chamberlain comparison is up because Oxley Chamberlain was an example of a player that we bought 
But we took a gamble on, and that gamble didn't pay off in the sense that he picked... Players do get injuries, you're right, but there are ways to minimise risk of a player getting injured. And buying a player who has a history of serious knee injuries is is always risky. And that's why with someone like Fakir, we need to be 100% sure that the player that we're going to buy is not likely to be have a significant increase yeah. of risk. And I think that in that case, in that sense, the club would be absolutely right to say either we need to pay less money for him because he's not the product that you put on display or to say, you know what, we can buy someone else because we are at the stage as a club where we can go out and buy someone else. That's the other question. Uh, I think, right. I think it's positive and I think it's, I completely agree with Ash in that we're in a state now where I think everyone's kind of on the attitude of we really want Nabil Fakir. And I'm, I don't want to underestimate that because we're in at Christmas time, about January, February time, I was looking at the numbers and I said, you know what? If, if we lose Coutinho, Nabil Fakir is the player that I want. I didn't say he was one of the players that I wanted. He was the player that I wanted to replace Coutinho. So to that extent, yeah, I want him. But I think if we don't get him, A, there's a good reason we didn't get him. And that's that he's clearly got some sort of injury issues that can't be resolved. Or the club don't feel his value for money because of his injury issues. Um, and B, it means we'll buy someone else. And if that other player ends up being better than Fakir or better value for money, I have every confidence that Klopp, will buy the, that Klopp and Edwards will buy the right player for the system. And I arguably think someone like Fakir is less important when you focus on the players we've already bought, if that makes sense. So we bought Van Dijk. Um, that, that, the last six months have indicated that if you buy a world-class central defender, it doesn't, you don't need a world-class attacking midfielder quite as much because your type team is more balanced in different areas. So you can see less. And which obviously helps if you buy a world class, maybe not a world class defensive midfielder in, in Fabinho, I don't think that's fair. But if you buy a top defensive midfielder, then that reduces the need necessarily for a top attacking midfielder. If you buy, a genuinely world-class box-to-box midfielder, then you don't necessarily need Nabil Fakir as much anyway. So my point is, we, we've, we're starting the season with six, potentially seven players who are of title-winning quality, which means that if we don't necessarily end up with one who is in the attacking midfield slot, although I, I arguably think we still will, it has slightly less of an impact anyway. Although, mm-hmm. as, as Ash says, I have faith that Klopp and Edwards will buy the right player. Whether or not that ends up being Fakir remains to be seen. I think you're probably right. I think at this stage, it's more likely than not. But I think the truth is we're all very calm about it because there isn't a sense of panic at the yeah, moment that there has been in previous absolutely. windows because everyone agrees that the window is going to work. At this stage last year, there was a lot of panic. There was, I mean, to put into some perspective, this time last year, we were slightly stalling on the Mo Salah deal because we wanted to get it down a bit, you know, a few, we wanted to get it down a few million and people were screaming and panicking and saying, you have to buy, you have to buy him, you have to buy him, whatever the cost, you have to buy him is that, you know, we can't be messing around for 10 million quid. We're going to sign nobody this window, that kind of stuff. Now everyone's going, oh, okay, we're not necessarily going to sign Fakir straight away. Okay, we'll see what happens. Trust the club. And that, for me, is the difference in atmosphere. And that difference in atmosphere has been earned. That's not a case of Liverpool fans changing their attitudes. That's a case of Klopp and Edwards demonstrating that they are capable of making extraordinarily good decisions, even when it doesn't look obvious that they're going to. That, yeah. that means that the key point is, sorry. No, definitely. I, I completely agree with your, what you're saying, and it leads us nicely into just rounding off the article and this idea of Liverpool taking it to the next level, Ash. You know, as Tom says there, there's going to be a lot of competition for places, lots and lots of, of quality players within that team. You're talking about Naby Keita, we're talking about, um, you know, uh, Fakir potentially coming in as well. So lots and lots of different quality players to add to a, an already very, very good front three um, and backdrop in in terms of the likes of Van Dyke. So, Lots and lots of um, reasons to be positives around the club at the moment. And as you said, Klopp could be building a very, very special team. So what's to come in the future, whether that be next season or the season after, it's only going to be good things. And Liverpool have obviously learned from their prior lessons. They've learned from an underwhelming uh, summer last year and, and they've really looked to, to address their weaknesses. So just to round off and give your view on sort of a summary of how Liverpool's summer has gone so far and and how it's going to continue to go about this relaxed atmosphere around the club. I, mean, I think, you know, it's been an exceptional summer already. Um, I think Fabinho, the timing of that deal was just superb. It was a massive boost to all the fans after the disappointing Champions League defeat. I think it's addressed a situation, you know, we haven't had a proper number six since Mascherano, you know, which was years ago. And it's great to see Klopp recognise that that was a missing piece of the puzzle. Um you know, as I say, you know, we could be talking about if the Fakir deal had gone through and it wasn't the club's fault that he has an injury niggle. You know, 
that's three top players in that midfield. That, that is an exceptional bit of business. Just before the World Cup, no other club has come close to matching that kind of quality um, influx of players. So I think it, it bodes well for the rest of the window. Um, now, obviously, as I say, there's no guarantees that the other players that we're out, you know, looking out for will materialise. But I think we've already upgraded already net, you know, even with the departure of Emre Chan, I think Naby Keita and Fabinho, in terms of what they bring to the side, it's far more than Emre Chan does. Um, and I've, I've watched them both very closely over the years. And I think, you know, these guys are ready to deliver pretty quickly for the club. Um, so I think that's very exciting. A couple of areas where we still need a bit of work, I think, you know, but I mean, if, if Klopp can bring a goalkeeper in, then, you know, I think we've got one hell of a spine, you know, down the middle of the team or the first 11. And I think that it just, you know, it's just raising the level of the team. It will raise the, the level of the players who are, you know, training on a daily basis alongside these kind of guys that are coming in. And I think it's just a, a statement of intent, as I said in the article, you know, Klopp is going big and he's not. Mm. That's the thing. He's going big now. So, you know, it's not just a case of signing players for signing's sake. And we've seen that's the way he operates. It's not because he's stingy or doesn't like spending money. As I said before, you know, it's his job on the line after all. You know, this guy, you know, wants the very best. And uh, I think, you know, all the criticism, I mean, I've been critical of Klopp in the past. You know, he's not perfect. But I think every mistake or, you know, just you're seeing the learning as you were talking about earlier, Leanne. I think, we, you know, we're showing a... We're seeing a, 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 you know, a manager and a general support team that are learning and trying to evolve and improve. And I think that's got to stand us in good stead. You know, when the trophies arrive, you know, no one's got a crystal ball, but I think we're doing everything we can to really elevate this team to the next level. And I think every Liverpool fan should be very uh, excited about that, you know, and I am for sure, you know. Um, so regardless of what happens, I think Klopp's earned everybody's trust. You know, he's, he's constantly improving. You know, we've got a very, very good team already, and I think, you know, sky's the limit, potentially. So, yeah, happy yeah, days definitely. at this stage. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and that rounds us off perfectly to move on to the next article, which is Dave Comerford's article, um, talking about Jordan Henderson and his progress sort of through the years, looking at England. He's had a very good World Cup campaign so far. Um, and I was thinking the other day, what's a good comparison for Jordan Henderson? And I've come up in my mind. I'm really proud of it. You guys probably think I'm a complete idiot. But I think the best way to describe Jordan Henderson is Marmite. You either hate him or you love him. There's no other side of the fence. He divides opinion like no other player. Um, and again, we're in a situation here where people are talking about him. What's his future going to be at the club? What's his captaincy future going to be as well? Um, and is his progress going to be halted because of the, the midfield incomings of the summer? So Dave's written a really good article on that and just looking at where Henderson could potentially fit in, whether he will play a significant part in Liverpool's uh, starting eleven as well as sort of throughout their season. Um, and just looking at Henderson and the, the level of progression he's made. So, um, Tom, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts, you know, on Henderson? Um, first of all, just talking about the progression he's made, um, very loosely about the World Cup, uh, just to keep it topical. But also in terms of the season he had with Liverpool, OK, Champions League final, every player wasn't really at their best. But he, he had a good season, didn't he? I think Henderson... God, Henderson. I hate talking about Henderson because it's very... <laughs> well, the thing is, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because it's very difficult to be objective with Henderson and it's very difficult to talk about Henderson fairly because a lot of people have very different opinions on Henderson. Like you said, he's very Marmite. So to have a sort of middle opinion on Henderson is very difficult. Um, what I will say on Henderson is, I think he's had, I think he's had another good season. Um, he, he he's often has good seasons. I don't think he's had a bad season for us in years. To be honest with you, he's had a couple of seasons that maybe haven't been quite as good as we want because of injury. But every season he's had has been overly positive. He generally has an, a positive effect on the club. Um, I think he's a very good captain. I think he's shown time and again he's an excellent captain, whatever people say. It really it actually kind of bothers me when people want him stripped to the armband because I don't think he's done anything to deserve that. I think he's probably our best leader on the pitch. And it kind of annoys me when people get annoyed at him for being a good leader as well. People are like, oh, he shouldn't be shouting at players. He shouldn't be saying this. He shouldn't be saying that. Uh, as if he should use his captaincy skills, dare to question any of the players that they see as being superior. Um, I think he's an excellent passer. I think his passing range is potentially a bit limited and I think the way he passes often annoys people because I think he he often tries passes 
that are maybe a bit too difficult or he'll play it too safe and he can't win to that extent because either he'll get criticised for playing too safe or he'll get criticised for misplacing passes. So in many respects, he can't win there. Defensively, I think he, he shows a lot. Um, the issue with defensively is that he's often put in positions where he's asked to do too much. And again, like other players in our team, you know, if he's not, if he's left in a situation where he can't win, he'll get criticised for it. There's a lot of people never want to criticise someone like Ox or someone like Genie when they're out of position or someone like Milner when they leave Henderson to do too much. With England, I think we're starting to see a system that favours Henderson. I think playing with a back three gives Henderson a bit more cover which and playing with a midfield that's quite aggressive and doesn't necessarily press as much leaves him a little bit less exposed, which suits him. The other issue with England is that there is a bit more pressure on him to be the main passing outlet in midfield in the sense that he's expected to kind of dictate the tempo from deep, but he's not expected to create a billion chances a game. Um, one of the issues I always have with people trying to talk about Henderson with Liverpool is that they always expect too much from him. He's expected to be the complete defensive midfielder and the complete controlling midfielder, and if he doesn't create five passes a game, he's not doing enough. Because that's the thing, he always gets labelled with not being creative enough, he always gets labelled with not being defensive enough, he's always labelled not being able to control the game. But the truth is, he's a very, very good controller of the tempo. He's not necessarily an elite level passer, but he's a defensive midfielder. So I'm not, you know, the problem with, problem I have is that often he'll play in a midfield where he'll be expected to do everything. He'll be, he'll be expected to do everything because Jimmy Wijnaldum's only there to facilitate other people doing good things. He's not there to defend or attack. He's just there to do things. Um, James Milner isn't really there to do things either. He's not really there to defend or attack. He's just sort of there to keep the tempo going. Which basically means in a midfield where you will end up with situations where Henderson is expected to be the complete defensive midfielder, the complete central midfielder and the complete attacking midfielder. And when Liverpool inevitably struggle, because he's not all of those things and more, he gets blamed for it. That's my take on Henderson. I'll be curious to see what Ash has to say on it. Yeah, Ash, coming to you, um, you know, he he's very much a player, as Tom says, who suffers from the fact that a lot of people almost write the narrative before he's ki- kicked a ball. It's either... Okay, he played a great pass uh, for England the other day to set up that free kick move, which was one of the the best well worked free kick moves I've seen. Um, but then people were saying, oh, but he still completed sideways passes. He was still going backwards. It's almost like whatever he does, there's going to be negative comments about him, and mm. and that's why I said, you know, he, he's sort of comparable to Marmite. You either hate him or you love him. Yeah. And he's a he's a player who definitely suffers from the fact that maybe he had a sluggish start at the club. A lot of people remember the struggles he had, and therefore almost use that against him to say, no, he's just not good enough. Uh, and when you've got players like Naby Keita and, and Fabinho coming in for, for pretty big money, uh, in Fabinho's case, okay, not in, in terms of other transfers we see, but um, that almost puts a target on Henderson's back again, just to say, here's an English fella, here's Naby Keita and Fabinho, two players that we've really gone out and, and wanted, um, and they're going to be mainstays in the team. So let's just, you know, chuck Henderson out, chuck the captaincy out. It's that sort of feeling. So what do you make of that? Do you think that Henderson is a player who is sort of misunderstood in many ways? Or do you think, you know, it's harsh, but it's true? Yeah, I think Tom summed it up brilliantly. By the way, I love Tom's um, response at the start of that question. I think kind of summed up my views a bit. Um, But no, I think Henderson is is what he is, isn't he? Um, He does propose the wise opinion. Um, I think, you know, Jordan Henderson... Kind of reflects that kind of British mould of player, doesn't he? That kind of, uh, you know, the attributes all physical, you know, it's all about strength, power, work rate, you know, the typical kind of quintessential British traits, you know. So in that regard, he's a, you know, your typical British midfielder, but he's a very good one at that, you know. Um, so he does, you know, he's not, he's not your kind of Spanish or kind of Latin American, you know, silky smooth. Pass, you know, skillful pass of the ball, but you know that, that he is what he is. So um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, when we're assessing Jordan Henderson, regardless of what you think of him, you know, this is a guy that's been the mainstay of a team that's good enough to to, to regularly make top four under clock. You know, so he he is a very good player uh, in his own right. I think to be fair to him, you know, he's he'd probably admit he's not a natural number six, so he's really been taking one for the team in that position and. You know, if we're to blame anyone for that, it's the manager, not Jordan Henderson, uh, because, you know, 
he's, in my opinion, you know, far better as a kind of advanced midfielder or an attacking midfielder potentially, um, or just a general all-round central midfielder, box-to-box kind of player rather than a dedicated deep-lying player. So, um, yeah, I think he's had a decent World Cup um, compared to some of the other midfielders out there. I wouldn't say what he's done is exceptional, but as I say, you know, within the context of the England team, he's been very good. Um, and I think he'll only improve, you know, if he can stay fit next season, I think, you know, he's still got a lot to offer this, whether it's a squad player or a starter. And it's going to be really interesting to see what Klopp does. But I think, you know, now that we've got these new guys coming in, I think what, what we're, we're going to see is that the strength and depth we now have, you know, Jordan Henderson, if he's not a starter, then he's, you know, he's going to be a starter for the um, cup games and so forth. So that automatically makes Liverpool's midfield stronger, you know, where in the past Klopp has fielded slightly weakened sides. So I think, you know, in terms of taking us to that next level in terms of, you know, being in genuine contention for titles, trophies, cups, whatever, um, I think Jordan Henderson is still an integral part of that. And I think that, you know, we should uh, we should be grateful for that, really. So Yeah. I mean, as you put there, it's it's all about competition as well. We want competition for places. We want to have that that um you know lots of options in midfield a, a area of the pitch really that Liverpool were criticized for a lot last season not having that that drive about them when Coutinho left um which brings me on to sort of the main question um I guess in many ways um Dave has looked at possibly the three players he would play um when Oxley Chamberlain is back and fit uh, whenever that will be hopefully sometime near near November is is what we've heard in the past um and he's outlined Fabinho Cater and Oxley Chamberlain as his favorite trio and I would be inclined to agree it's got sort of that mixture of um defensive contribution but also the attacking now and verb and drive going forward so you know in in that sense there's a good mix of those three and you're looking at Henderson and you're thinking okay he could play alongside Fabinho he has that maybe that ability to be free from a deeper role and to really express himself going forward which is you know where we saw his best years for Liverpool really when he was able to get forward a bit more but again you're you're causing issues there with potential uh, creativity and things so is that something he's going to be looking at heading into next season Ash and you know is it a case of he he's probably not going to be a starter because even when Oxley chamberlain isn't fit if we get someone like Fakir obviously they come in but Again, you're you're looking at Henderson there and thinking, has he got that creative spark about him to to really add that drive that someone like Oxley Chamberlain, Fakir do? Yeah, I think all things considered, you probably expect, you know, if we did land Fakir, like you say, um, our starting midfield would be, assuming we play four three three, it would be, um, well, regardless of formation, actually, it would probably be um, uh, Fabinho, Cater, and Fakir. So. Um, I think that's that's kind of playing fancy football. I think realistically, though, you've got to take into consideration that, you know, certain players might not hit the ground running, uh, possibly. So, you know, having someone with the experience of Henderson is no bad thing. Um, I, it's really going to be interesting, actually. It's a, it's a difficult call for Klopp because he does obviously rate Henderson as a captain, doesn't he? And he's spoken about that on numerous occasions. So I think it's going to be a brave man to drop his captain, but I think, you know, Jurgen Klopp has got such a force of personality that he will do whatever he feels necessary. So, um, but I, I, I still think, you know, this is definitely not the end of Jordan Henderson. I think what it gives Klopp the ability to do is now just rotate properly, especially in that midfield area where he sometimes hasn't had options, especially in Coutinho's absence. And, you know, Adam Lallana can never stay fit for long enough. Um, sim- you know, Ox is a similar problem. So I think, just given the, the nature of injuries, so certain players are injury prone. I think Jordan Henderson's able to alternate, whether it's playing in the number six role in certain games, playing in a double pivot, maybe, you know, Klopp's got so many options now. I think that's just the beauty of the way he's gone about his business. So, um, and I think, you know, Jordan Henderson's got a big part to play in that, really. Um, I don't think there's such a thing as a best 11 anymore. And I think we certainly saw that last season. And I think as Klopp improves the squad, I think that becomes more the case. You know, there's um, horses through courses approach and he'll pick a side that he feels can do a job depending on the opposition. And I think we've got to, uh, again, you know, be thankful that we've got those options now because as we've seen, you know, we're very good against one particular style when we play counter-attacking game. But most of the time, as we've again, we've talked about this in previous podcasts, but 
the challenge is to be a side that's adept at overcoming the park bus. So I think we've just got so much variety now in terms of substitutions. Klopp's been, you know, criticised in the past about slow substitutions, but I think slowly but surely he's getting those options now where he can maybe bring someone in if something isn't working at, you know, half-time or whatever. He, he can just mix things up and... Uh, it's the kind of variety that we've been crying out for years. And I think, you know, we should all commend the, the work that Klopp and his team have done in terms of, you know, equipping this side to be a real contender on, on multiple fronts, you know. Um, so, yeah, nothing but good things to say right now, really. Yeah, that's the, that's the situation we're in, isn't it? I completely agree with Ash. It's all about rotation. Um, if you what you know, we had that period between uh, sort of January and March sort of time, that period where we had five fully fit midfielders we had five fully fit midfielders competing for three spots which meant we weren't seeing the same midfield week in week out we didn't really have a preferred midfield um there was the same last year to an extent last year we had henderson by now the channel and lana everyone had their opinions on who Klopp thought his best three would be but the truth is we never really saw who our best three were or Klopp's preferred three were because at least one of them was injured for the majority of the season so we've seen throughout the last Pops tenure, it's good to have those options so you can not be reliant on certain midfielders. For what it's worth, I don't think Henderson's going to go away. I think Ash is right about that. He's still going to be the club captain. He'll still start a lot of games. Right now, for me, he's probably still a starter in our midfield. Um, Klopp's explicitly mentioned about Fabinho playing in the eight position, so it wouldn't surprise me if we see Henderson behind Fabinho and Cato, which just adds a little bit more steel to that midfield and adds a bit of dynamism. Um, so yeah, to that extent, I wouldn't be surprised if we still see Henderson starting quite a lot of games. Um, especially since we haven't actually signed an attacking midfielder yet. And the other thing is, if we do sign an attacking midfielder, they might be asked to play as part of the front three at times as well. Um, yeah, in terms of Henderson's role, I think he's going to play, I say, play a lot of minutes because that means we can afford to rotate the squad uh, and put ourselves in positions where Henderson's going to be starting against the Dross at the weekend with his ability to break them down and then, or maybe even go the other way to start someone like Fabinho, uh, Cater and Fakiri against the Dross and then throw someone like Henderson into the bigger games where we can maybe add just a bit more into the midfield instead of someone like Fakir and just maybe play a little bit more defensive. Not that that's ever been Klopp's style. I'm just, you know, spitballing ideas. I think, you know, these, yeah, that's the way I see it anyway. Rotation being the key factor, but Henderson will play a lot of minutes because ultimately I think he is the captain. And I think it, you're not going to say a lot, you know, a lot of people are expecting it to be the case that we're going to go in with a set three midfielders that are going to push everyone else out. And that's never been the case in Klopp's era. Not, you know, the front three has been the only situation where during Klopp's era we've had a set limit, and that's just because there's been such a huge drop down in quality. I don't think the drop down in quality from Fabinho to Henderson is as big as some people are making out, and I certainly don't think we're going to see uh, it be. I, to put a bit of context into it, um, last season, uh, you know, Salah and Firmino played about 4,000 minutes. I don't see Cater and Fakir and Fabinho playing 4,000 minutes, and Henderson playing, you know, 2,000. I see it being somewhere closer to 3 3 even if it means that we play the bigger players in the bigger games, Henderson will still get a lot of minutes because he's still a very valuable player. And the other thing about Henderson is, if he does end up not necessarily playing quite so many minutes, he might, and we can manage him better. I think that was the key difference this season. When Henderson was being managed a bit more, when he was playing more games, maybe playing one game a week or two games a week rather than three, you were starting to see him play better football because he wasn't being strained so much. And that's probably the key. We are at a stage where we have certain players, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Lalana when he gets back, Henderson do have to be managed a bit, and having a deeper squad enables you to manage those players whilst not having to worry about the fact they're being managed because the players playing are actually better. Yeah, um, just sort of to come, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. I guess um, you know an important question, then just an open question to the both of you is how important is this period for Henderson? Um, it obviously depending on who else comes in this summer, but is he looking at it and thinking, I really need to put down a market here, I need to try and, and keep going? Or is it a case of, of course he wants to be in that starting eleven still, of course he wants to retain that captaincy, which again, I think has been said, but I don't really think that's ever going to be an issue. I don't think he's going to lose captaincy if he doesn't start, um, because Klopp is obviously a huge admirer of his. Um, but again, you're looking at that. Henderson obviously will want to be in that starting eleven. He'll want to be in and around the most games as possible. But even if he isn't, as we've said, he's going to get a lot of game time. So, Ash, is this is this a career-defying period, as Dave puts it, or is it actually a case of, of course, he wants to be a mainstay, but even if he isn't, there's still a lot of opportunities there. 
Yeah, I don't think it phases Henderson at all, to be honest. I think, you know, he's been written off in many quarters throughout his Anfield career, so I don't think this is anything new. I think if I'm Jordan Henderson, I'm thinking, OK, you know, I've overcome adversity in the past and I've kind of overcome the criticisms. I'd be um, licking my lips at the challenge, to be honest. And I think this is an experienced guy now, you know. Um, he's an experienced player. He's international level player. So I don't think it's going to phase him at all. I think what it will do is drive him on, motivate him even more. And I think it will improve him as a player. So I think I think it's it's absolutely perfect scenario all round. Everyone wins potentially. I mean, he might not get as much game time as he'd like, but I think as Tom said, I think now given his injury problems, it enables Klopp to manage him and Henderson can just focus on his fitness and you know, those those rest periods are going to benefit him. Um and I, I think we're going to see a better player uh, coming out of this whole situation. So, no, I don't think it phases him at all. I don't think it's a career-defining moment. I think it's just another challenge, you know, and I think now he's got the strength of character to, um, you know, not let it bother him too much. Um, but I think it's just, from his perspective, it's going to be, A, very exciting to have this kind of level of competition, but also the calibre of players around him, you know. He, he cares about the club. He's club captain, you know. He wants the club to do well. I think he knows he's got an integral part to play in that. And I think he'll be motivated in the same way that Gerard was, you know, playing alongside the likes of Suarez, Torres, you know, he's spoken, you know, Alonso as well. You know, Gerard's spoken on numerous occasions about how that inspired him being around that group of players. And I think the same will be, uh, same will go for Jordan Henderson. So no, I think far from it. I think, um, you know, this is a situation where he can thrive in a kind of perverse kind of way even if it means less game time overall. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Tom, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's a, a career-defying moment for him? Um, or, again, do you disagree with Dave? But also, just to, to round things off about you know Henderson in terms of his progression, it's not something that's really going to stall next season, I don't think. Would you agree with that? I think, as I say, this season in particular, to an extent last season, Henderson's kind of hitting the spot where he's reached a point in his career where he's 28 now, so he's not getting any older, he's not, he's not getting any younger, sorry, he's not getting any better. He's reached a stage in his career where Klopp knows how to manage him, Klopp knows how to get the best of him, and we're starting to see consistent performances from him over a period of time. And playing with better players cannot hurt that. He's only going to, for me, uh, settle into this his role in this side, which is more of a leader than it is necessarily as a, as a crucial player. Um, I think he'll still be a, have a very big impact on this side, especially in the dressing room. But I think it's one of those where we will see him play a lot of games and the games he'll play, he'll start to hit a consistent level. So for me, I don't think this is necessarily a career-defining moment. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm never a fan of things like, is this a big... Because every summer's a big summer. Every season's a career-defining bit. You know what I mean? Everybody's at every point in their season is at a bit where they can need to change. I think this is a, a very good moment for us to sort of look at Henderson's evolution into the sort of player we're going to be expecting him to be over the next few years. Which is maybe like a Milner type, well, the way we kind of see Milner now as being a very useful player to have in certain situations. Who maybe isn't a nailed on starter, but you're not going to, you want around the squad for a multitude of reasons, and you know he's going to get a lot of game time. So that's kind of where I see Henderson being. I think it's more of a, more of a shaping and evolution rather than an outright defining, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that's been said. Um, I think we'll round off there, but basically, you know, Henderson is a player who, okay, he's going to be looking for a bit of a challenge next season, but there's plenty of games um, up for scraps. Um, and it remains to be seen what Liverpool do in terms of the rest of the summer. Are they going to bring in someone like Fakir to take that third spot in midfield or not? So it'll be an interesting one to watch. And of course, we've looked at the transfer window and how it's a it's a big summer of intent for Liverpool. Um, so we'll round off there. Ash, have you got any plugs? I'll be writing in due course, Leanne. I think, you know, this, this uh, discussion has been really good and actually emphasised to me just how forward I'm looking to next season. Um, so much to be positive about, regardless of what, what else happens in the transfer window. So I'll probably write something along those lines. But I think, you know, every Liverpool fan should be quite, quite pleased with the way things are going right now. Um, we're definitely in the, on the right path. Tom, how about you? Yeah, I've got an article out at the moment. I've got a couple of articles out at the moment, actually. One of them's on Danny Ings and how he's a, he's a classic example of kind of what we've been talking about in this article to an extent earlier on, um, on how a player who just doesn't have the luck because of injuries and never gets going. And it's just kind of sad to look. When he joined Liverpool, he was 22, 23 and had a big future. And now he's kind of just, you know, going back to a mid-table club. And also, I've got an article on about what it's like to 
kind of being the part of summer where we're kind of starting to miss Liverpool and just nothing quite feels the same without Liverpool being in it. And the World Cup's good and all that, but it's not the same without the Mighty Reds playing. Um, and I've got another one coming out, hopefully in the next few days. Not quite sure exactly when yet, but it's gonna. I'm gonna basically try and do a review of the review of the squad and look at where the holes are and do a bit of a statistical analysis about which players we still need to sign, uh, in which positions and which are most important. Okay, um, so lots going on from from Tom and Ash, obviously. Uh, from a personal point of view, I've got a couple of articles out at the moment. I've looked at Mohamed Salah and how it's maybe a bittersweet season for him. He obviously did very very well for Liverpool but a Champions League final injury and then to go to the World Cup and, and Egypt have really struggled. And there's a lot of controversy about the FA um, in Egypt and, and their treatment of Salah and whether he's actually going to continue with the national team. Um, so that will be one to watch. Um, and then also Nick Pope, lots of rumours about that. Unfortunately, I wrote the article just before the rumours were dispelled, but obviously we're going to be linked to every keeper in the land at the moment, given uh, Liverpool's current situation. So, Definitely check that out. Pope, uh, uh, again, a keeper that divides a lot of opinions. Some people want him, some people don't. Um, and I'm currently working on a long-form article about John Arnorisa. Um, so hopefully when that's done, you'll be able to check that out. Other than that, just keep on listening to the show. It's always a great pleasure to have people like Ash on um, just to talk through their, their very good content. And, of course, Dave as well, who wasn't able to join us today. Um, but, yeah, thanks for coming on, Ash, and thank you all for listening. And yeah, we'll see you next week. Network.